What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Cavs a podcast. I'm Nate Smith, and I am here with Chris Francis. We're talking a little Cavalier basketball. Um, we're day late on giving you the podcap of the Cavs' thrilling 114-113 overtime victory over the Celtics. Um, and I'm just going to give you a little bit of kind of the flow of the game here because there was a lot to take in. Uh, basically, the Cavs went up early. And then went up, you know, by about 12 points, uh, about half, uh, right at the end of the first quarter. And then kind of surrendered that all going back into the halftime, uh, with the Celtics up by about seven. And then fourth quarter, Cavs went up by 12 again. And then, I'm sorry, late in the third, Cavs went out by 12 again, and fortunately late in the third, the Cavs got in the bonus and shot a lot of free throws, uh, hunted, uh, is it Matt Hauser? Uh, Sam. Sam Hauser, the the really goofy looking dude on the uh, on the Celtics and uh, got, got to the line a lot and then uh, did well and then lost it again going into the fourth, the Celtics... Made a big run, uh, to basically 15 point run to, uh, to get the Cavs, to give themselves about a three point lead. And then 
it was back and forth the whole rest of the way uh, until, you know, we, we got to overtime. And uh, the Cavs really put it on them, executed flawlessly in overtime and on offense and defense. Not flawlessly, but very well on offense and defense. And just a really, really thrilling game. Uh, super awesome comeback game for Darius Garland. Um, I'm saying I'm a lot. <laughs> Darius Garland uh, <laughs> had 29 points, 12 assists, and 5 rebounds go along with three steals and only one turnover. Uh, he was, and 5'11 from three, he was he was otherworldly this game. Would, would you agree? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was the perfect come, it was the fir- perfect first game back. I mean, it's hard not to expect him to, I mean, it's hard not to expect him not to be rusty or whatever. I don't know how this, I, my English yeah. is terrible right now. Well, uh, and his, <laughs> his eye was still partially swollen. Shut oh, Yeah. You know, and bad. you could tell it's the swelling went up as the game went on because, you know, uh, v- vasodilators there, um, uh, that adrenaline is. So as he heats up, that's going to swell up and it did. And, but he still had 20, 20 court vision. So it was awesome. Awesome performance. Um, Evan Mobley, led the team in plus minus uh, had some just brilliant defensive stops down the stretch with uh, 15 points and seven rebounds. Um, Karis Levert, another kind of bizarre stat line, 15, eight rebounds, four assists and, but four or 12 from the field. Uh, he still is, his floaters about, as broke as it gets right now. Like he can't finish around the basket all of a sudden. Have you noticed that? Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, I think he's having a difficult time finding how to score. Like basically the, the most reliable shot he has right now is that step back three, which is Mm -hmm. amazing. But like what's happening is he's either, he's just not finding his rhythm uh, in the paint, basically, unless it's to drop off to, he right. he has a great feel for passing uh, in right. the, in the paint. But as far as that's the thing is, what's happening is that defenses were anticipating the pass. Actually, they were anticipating yeah. him passing in because they don't think he's a threat to score. And you know, he's just getting psyched out by all these great looks. You know, he's got open lanes to the basket. He's got wide open mid rangers and he just makes them way more difficult than he has to, you know, rather than like, it's just a simple layup or it's a simple, you know, pull up jumper and he's just making it way more complicated than it is. Yeah. That's a really good way of putting it. Uh, Jared Allen struggled a little this game defensively, especially in, I would say the first half Um, had, had some moments, but did not play all the minutes down the stretch uh, we saw a lot of Dean Wade in for him, and uh, he finished with 14 and 14 rebounds, but uh, a minus 17, far and away the worst on the Cavs. And the Cavs bench really struggled in this one, only contributing about 16 points um, and no threes. The whole bench uh, between Wade and Love and Osman went 0 for 11 from three. Fortunately, yeah. they did get to the line. Uh, which was a little bit of the Cavs' saving grace this game. They were 19-24 at the line. Uh, even though Boston was 26-27 and 
Have you seen a, a team that is better at selling stuff to the refs than the Celtics? Uh, I mean, they're all like that, aren't they? I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Like, it's I, I don't know how to answer that. They, you know, I do know that the Cavs play more honorable than whatever garbage Marcus Smart's doing on a basketball oh, court. Oh, my Lord. Or, you know, who 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 is the other goon? Uh, Grant Williams. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Chicken buffoons. For sure. Um, yeah, the Cavs, it, it was a weird, it was a, it was a even, I felt like the calls evened out, but it was terribly, there was a bunch of just awful calls. And the two, was it two charges that uh, Marcus Smart took in overtime? Uh, and one, the one where uh, Garland was trying to run to the corner and Marcus Smart just fell over. I was like, what is happening here? Like, this is ridiculous. This is not basketball. Um, oh, and I was actually he should be fine. really surprised that Suspended. JB didn't. Well, I was surprised JB didn't challenge that one. No, nah, he wasn't going to win it. He, he wasn't going to win it because. Well, the, yeah. Because Smart was in position in terms of his body position in front. I of really him. didn't think he was, though. I thought he was. To it, the no, side he was. Of Garland. No, he was. I it thought was he just, was too. On it was his just right that shoulder. he was over exaggerating the contact that uh, Garland made with him when he did mm-hmm. make contact. So he just fl- he just straight up flopped when Garland made contact yeah. with him. But he was well, in front of Garland when at the time that Garland made contact. Well, I so, do have a bit of a pet theory about how that game was officiated, because in the fourth quarter, Jalen Brown. Uh, came down and did a jump stop and then like two more steps and the entire Cavs bench, every Cav on the floor and JB Bickerstaff was livid that they didn't call a travel. JB Bickerstaff was out on the, during the play, you know, shuffling his hands for a travel call and he didn't get it and didn't get tech, but I felt like the refs kind of felt like he showed him up a little bit and he wasn't going to get a call for a while there. Do you kind of get that same feeling? I don't know. Like, uh, what I do know is JV doesn't know how to work the refs. Does or does not? Does not. Does (laughs) not. Giving a break. I mean, after the call, we we all saw what went down with the calls with, uh, you know, he must be doing something to piss them off. You know, if that's the case, you know, maybe your theories are right. I have no idea. But But I felt like it was. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, it's just, uh, yeah, they were egregiously bad calls. I, I do think. You know, to your point before, I think there were, I mean, there were bad calls that went the Cavs' favor. So I don't oh, know. For if sure. it, you know, so I guess you could say it evens out or whatever, but it was just, you know, we, you know, Adam Silver has, has crimes to answer for is what I think. <laughs> Adam There's, Silver's got his hands a little bit full the last two weeks. <laughs> oh, well, I thought, he, I thought he's on like, where is he? Where where is Adam Silver? <laughs> where is in the, the qu- world is yeah. Adam Silver? <laughs> yeah, he's he's. Uh, I was just talking to somebody in a group chat or whatever, and uh, you know, Michael Wilbon's bit is like, what commissioner? There's the commissioner of the NBA. I I didn't know there was a commissioner of the NBA because there's no one ever speaking up or saying anything. You know, like he's dissing on. You know, his whole bit is like dissing on silver for just basically being an in absentia commer- commissioner 
you know, and it's like kind of looks correct, you know, given what's transpired, you know, the past few days at least. Oh, I'm, I'm with you. Um, and I, and I think we'll get to that a little bit more later in the Sure, podcast. sure. Yes, of course. Yeah, I kind of went um, off on a tangent there. But I did feel like officiating was a big part of this game. Uh, although I will say one of the things that happened is at least in the last two minutes and towards the latter part of overtime, um, the refs very much wanted to let the players decide it. Like, they weren't calling anything unless it was egregious. And... um. You know, it was interesting. I think Garland missed a free throw right at the end of regulation that would have kind of helped uh, the Cavs uh, down the stretch. And then um, in addition to that, uh, so that's part of why it was a tie game down the stretch when, uh, uh, who was it? Uh, oh, what's his, uh, not Dylan Windler. Uh, Dean Wade uh, just got horribly beat by, Jason Tatum basically getting a full court run at the basket. Oh, and, right. Oh, my God. And was... Dean Wade just was way too up on him, guarding against the three. And so uh, Jason well, Tatum and was no able one to tie the to game. And, either. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, what, what, it, well, no. whatever defense was called there was abysmal. <laughs> they had no idea what to expect. Jared Allen because... definitely came to help, but uh, he got dunked on. And, you know, uh, Tatum wanted a foul call. But, oh, right, right, right. Well, I mean, and that's the thing is like he's a, a day late and a dollar short on that on that help. And it's like you well, had he's running like full court. It wasn't a surprise. Like, what are you doing? You know what I mean? Like, that's what I'm saying is the help was way too late. So what are they being told to do? Like, that's my question is like, <laughs> how is how is Jared Allen being coached to guard that play? Because basically what happened was he just gave him a free run at the rim. Yeah, and and I'll say that Wade redeemed himself at the end of overtime when he was guarding uh, Jalen Brown and forced him into mm-hmm. a tough jump shot. Um, I you know part a lot of that is Cavs were tired at that point. You know there was a lot going on in the game. You know mentally, and they had mental lapses. But what you got to love about it is they adjusted and didn't repeat their mistakes and came back from those lapses. So, yeah, they just stay competitive. You know, I mean, oh, you're they, gonna make mistakes. That was a grind fest. Yeah, no, that's yeah. what it was. Kind of, that's why it was kind of. I think you, it was a weird vibe to the game, is because it was basically playoff basketball for 48 minutes. I mean, like it, it was, really was. It, it, I mean, it was an intense battle. Like, uh, you know, like you said, it was uh, Cavs go up early, struggle. And then it was a, like what they had to do is basically chip and chip and chip away at their lead until finally they overcame it in what the fourth quarter, right? So uh, it was just, you know, there was everybody had an answer. You know, they kept on answering right. each other's runs. So it was just a high level basketball game. I mean, people loved For it. Sure. You know, if, if you checked out like, you know, the Twitter sphere or whatever, like people were loving the game, you know what I mean? They were just like, holy crap, you know, these two teams are going at it and playing some ridiculously good basketball, you know? So For sure. It's awesome, you know what I mean? Like Cavs sitting on top of the world, baby. <laughs> and with that, we'll be right back. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? 
Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com amazing to start your springtime adventure. Welcome back to Cavs a Podcast. I'm Nate Smith, and our podcast is now 50% Korean with Elijah Kim joining me and Chris Francis in the booth um, as we recap this awesome Cavs-Celtics game. And I think the thing that we're going to talk about next is Donovan Mitchell. Uh, not a great stat line tonight, 11 to 20, or that night. 11 to 27, three and nine from three, uh, you know, no turnovers and six assists, but, uh, definitely not his best shooting night, but the man down the stretch was fully engaged. Would you agree, Eli? Yeah, I think the most impressive part of Mitchell in the Celtics game was that he was super invested on the defensive end. And I think, um, a lot of the national media guys were picking up that it's probably some of the best defense that he's played in his life, um, in his career to start off the season. So, um, yeah, I mean, the shot definitely wasn't falling. Um, he was 11 for 27. I only know that because, uh, famous Cavs Twitter personality, Hiram Boyd was tweeting all about how anyways, (laughs) um, but, um, yeah, I thought all him out. The young bull, the, the young bull, uh, controversy. Yeah, but I thought Mitchell played actually a pretty good game. He got, um, he set a lot of really good screens that, frankly, I think he's just built a unique way where even though he's not the tallest player, he could set these ghost screens that really got Garland going, especially at the beginning of the game. And then, um, you know, he, you know, got a little trigger happy and wasn't the most efficient, but I thought he still played a great game um, despite shooting a poor percentage. Oh, I'm 100% with you. And to me, you know, there was two plays of the game and they happened very close to each other. And the one was when he did that kind of Euro step gather uh, floater 
and just faked Marcus Smart out of his shoes about a step beyond the, the free throw line to give him a go-ahead bucket. That was a phenomenal move. The best part of that move is Marcus Smart was jumping left or jumping to his left to uh, anticipate Mitchell's right. And he was going to take a flop there. And Mitchell knew it and just totally crossed him up. Got a wide open look out of it. And then the other move was the sequence of the game where Jared Allen blocked that shot when uh, Marcus Smart was trying to back down Garland and then threw it ahead to Garland. And then Garland found Mitchell cutting from the left uh, wing uh, for an alley-oop. You know, you're alley-oop and guard to guard there. Uh, you know, how many 6'3 guards in the league could have made that play? I, I don't know if any of them could. <laughs> you know, how many shooting guards in the league could have made that play? Uh, getting that oop. Come on, Chris. Get get in here. <laughs> no, no, I mean, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm agreeing with all of you guys. I mean, like, the thing that stood out about Donovan Mitchell to me, uh, I think Eli's on the money there with the defense. The Cavs were rated at 102.2 uh, defensive rating in the 44 minutes Mitchell was on the court. Like, that's championship defense. You know, that's that's what the top five teams are doing. That's what the elite defenses are doing uh, in, in in the season and in the postseason is they're locking down, and he's definitely doing that. Um, and, you know, I think with the 27 shots, I don't care. I, I Honestly, I like him shooting 27 shots. That's what he's here for. Like, he's the best shooter probably on the team besides Garland, I'd say. So I want him taking all the shots. So I, I just think, you know, the offense is kind of built for him to just go crazy, you know, and they're letting him go crazy and it's paying off. So, and then three stocks, by the way, one steal, two blocks, no turnovers. Oh, oh yeah. And his, those, those stocks were legit. Like he had one where he just ripped the ball. I can't remember who it was from, but that was a sweet steal. Mm -hmm. And then the blocks are, you know, he had a chase down block. Oh, um, right, right, yeah, right. I yeah, mean, so, saved saved a big point. So yeah, I mean, so I'm loving it. You know, just you know, I, I'm totally on board with the defense. You know, defense, uh, defensive uh, Donovan Mitchell. He was in. Like uh, JB subbed in the all defense lineup, and he was the point guard. He was the defender for the point guard in that play. So, um, um, did any of you? Did either of you read the piece in the uh, Cleveland dot com around the Cavs death lineup? Um, no. Would they, okay. Would they say it was? That's interesting. I don't what? know what it was, and that oh. the one you alluded to might have been it. But uh, I kind of, I kind of want to go back and read that, but. Yeah, so maybe during the break we'll uh we'll scan that article and kind of bring you the death lineup. But yeah, the Cavs definitely have some lineups that are deadly right now. And the other guy we wanted to talk about, uh, who I thought was brilliant defensively down the stretch, uh, and also flashed a really nice set of hands. Like he caught some laser passes, and that was Evan Mobley. Uh, Eli, what do you think of Evan Mobley that game? I I know you weren't that big of a fan of him when we talked during. Yeah, the you know when you set me up like that, <laughs> what am I supposed to do? Um, <laughs> you know, honestly, I think overall this season I am a little disappointed with Mobley, but I will have to admit I think his off ball cutting in this game was the best it was 
for the year. And yeah, I agree. His one of his greatest gifts is that he's so athletic and he has some of the best hand tie coordination for being, um, you know, seven feet tall. And uh, he, I, was, I think, the most impressive game um, part of his offensive game, excuse me, was that he was moving off the ball, being engaged, even though he didn't have um, the ball in his hands a lot. So, you know, I thought he had a good game. Um, I think it's a. I think we're all kind of overhyping and overexpecting a little bit, and maybe we collectively as fans have to temper down the expectations. Like Mobley probably isn't going to average 20 points per game this season unless something drastically changes in the way the team operates. But why why change something that's working really well? So I'm okay um, with Mobley kind of still growing and maybe expanding a little bit with the ball handling and a little bit with the shooting. But, you know, the best form of Mobley's offense right now is the, a game like tonight where he's cutting off the ball, getting crazy, uh, you know, alley-oop or – anything towards the basket where he can come down with it and finish. That's kind of what I envision his biggest strength to be on offense. And this game definitely highlighted it. Yeah. I'll say, you know, kind of going along with that, with the, uh, the role game in the pick and roll. One of the things that he did in that game was, you know, he would roll to a spot instead of rolling all the way to the rim where he was open. And then once he got to that spot, he was able to put the ball on the floor and he had that, just really sweet play down the stretch where he uh, split Horford and Tatum, I believe, and did that little reverse layup with a short little dribble drive. And that's the kind of play that I think really encapsulates what makes him so special is he has those great hands to cut with the ball, but he also can handle a little, put it on the floor. And I think where he gets himself in trouble is where he tries to do a little too much of that instead of taking the play that's there. But that was a great example of him just taking the play that's there. Chris, you were about to say something. Yeah. I mean, I'm going the opposite way uh, the, of what, especially what Eli is saying here. They didn't use him enough last night. He was on. I mean, like just look at his true shooting. It's like 80 plus percent. Uh, and his usage was down at 17%. Like they needed to go to a more, he was cooking. And I think you know, JB was on the money about him. He needed his preseason, basically. This is game six or seven for him. You know, he missed all, he missed three out of the four preseason games. So I think he's just finding his stride. And so far this season, like, he's obviously worked on his scoring. Like, he can score. Um, he is deadly anywhere inside the paint, it seems. And so I think they need to use him more uh, or it, it, that's the, that's the way it's trending. And I think actually, you know, I've been pro, I've been pro starting Karis uh, at the three um, for, for the playoff reasons, basically, you know, having a guy who could also dribble and pass at that three spot. But, you know, I think one thing, with uh, I think it does kind of shortchange Mobley's usage, you know, like Mobley gets to be, he's now the third or fourth option, you know, in a play, sometimes the fifth option, you know, to be quite honest with you, because a lot of the actions start with Darius Garland going into a pick and roll with Jared Allen. So, um, 
you know, I think like it's maybe starting Dean Wade, you know, is the answer for the sake of Evan Mobley's um, usage, you know, on offense, having a guy that then you're using Mobley as that third option, basically, you know, he gets bumped up one. So I don't know, like, and, and you know, we were, you guys were talking about death lineups earlier. One of the death lineups I know for a fact is one involving Dean Wade. <laughs> So what is that lineup? Oh, I, I, it's going to take me a second to pull it up, but okay. I will. Uh, okay, well, we'll do it up. at the break. We'll come yeah, back sure. after the break. Yep. We'll talk death lineup, but we still got a few minutes till then. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I, I want to say one of the things that was problematic this game and generally when the Celtics tended to make their runs was when the Cavs got real three happy. Um, and a lot of that had to do with the bench lineups. Um you know, the bench lineups going 0 for 11 from three. Uh, the Cavs shot 39 threes to, and the Celtics shot 41. Uh, but I, I felt like the Cavs had a lot of mismatches inside and were, the Cavs were successful when the guards were driving inside and when they were feeding the ball inside to Mobley and Jared Allen. And when they got away from that, that's when they tended to get in trouble unless Darius Garland was just red hot. And of course, Donovan Mitchell and Garland down the stretch had some, some big threes to, uh, to kind of pull away. But, you know, for the, full course of the game I thought the Cavs definitely got a little three happy and there were more looks inside and honestly I thought Donovan Mitchell was a lot better when driving than he was when shooting pull-ups so and and I don't think Boston is a very good interior defense team uh, I, I don't know if you disagree Eli but I think that's where you have to exploit them and the Cavs almost did it begrudgingly at times yeah I was actually surprised I mean Robert Williams is still out and you know, it's either Horford or Cornette or they're heck the Celtics are playing Sam Hauser. So you got to punish when they play those players because you know, it's easy to get lazy. I mean, lack of a better term, but taking pull-ups instead of just driving on those guys that are not good enough to protect the rim or defend you on the perimeter. Um, and then speaking of this, I just wanted to make a lineups comment that I think is kind of intriguing that really caught my eye. You know that even though the Cavs, I think, have a top two or three net rating for the year, they do not have a single five-man lineup that has played more than 50 minutes in the top 20 for net rating. So the Cavs are basically running this top net rating team with a hodgepodge of guys getting minutes. and. There's already been 350 or just under 350 minutes play for the Cavs this year. And there's not um, a five-man lineup that has logged um, 50 minutes for the Cavs yet. That's, that's I think, that an incredible stat that I was trying to dig through. Maybe the filtering I'm doing wrong, but they definitely aren't there in is the top one page of it. There is one lineup that has had 50 minutes. And that is actually the second best net rating lineup that the Cavs run out there. And it happens to be Karis Levert, Donovan Mitchell backcourt, Jared Allen, Evan Mobley, and Dean Wade in the front court. Yeah, uh, that's super interesting because one of the things that you noticed last time is, or last night, especially in the fourth quarter and in overtime, the Celtics were absolutely trying to target uh, 
Darius Garland on uh, on defense, and they were posting up Marcus Smart, trying to get him in switches with you know Jalen Brown and some of the other guys. Um, I think that's something the Cavs are definitely going to have to deal with as teams kind of decide, hey, Darius Garland's the weak link in this defense. Uh, let's go after him. But I think that's really hard to do consistently. And one of the things that happens is, uh, you know, and Tom Pestek always used to talk about this. If you get into, I want to play matchup basketball uh, and try and force a mismatch, well, all of a sudden you're kind of, it's a battle against the shot clock. And you saw it last night in the Cavs' big play when you kind of forced that action, then Jerry Allen just came over and swatted that into next week. So it's it's kind of a pick your poison when you're playing the Cavs. And and Darius Garland's also been great off the ball uh, playing defense. I mean, he had three steals uh, just from really heady defensive rotations and knowing where the ball was going to go out of certain actions defensively. So Yeah, he's a great weak side defender. Yeah. I, I wouldn't say great. He's definitely great at playing the passing lanes. I mean, you get him one-on-one in the lane, it's you probably got a basket, but he but even then, I mean he has he has sneaky. I mean hands. he's great for his size then. How about yeah, that? Yeah. Yeah. Pound for pound. So I I what other stuff did you see about so I like what you said, Levert at the two and then um uh Mitchell at the one that is a that's an that can be an elite defensive unit. Yeah, it is. Their defensive rating is 93.3 on the season so far. That's crazy. Yeah. That's and, insane. Yeah. And, and they're shooting, true shooting percentage of 60% or 60.1%. So, as a team? As a lineup? As a lineup, yeah. That's insane. Yeah. the It only gets beaten out by, and what's interesting is basically what the guys that pepper the top lineups for the Cavs, interestingly, are some combination of Dean Wade, Kevin Love, Chetty Osmond, and Karis LeVert, and Donovan Mitchell. You know, I mean, those are the guys that are all in the positive uh, lineups. The The worst lineup that's gotten substantial minutes has been the starting group with Okoro, um, unfortunately. I'm, I'm shocked. I mean, yeah, right, exactly. And it's bad. I mean, it's just disastrous. So, um <laughs> No need to pour gasoline on that fire. <laughs> yeah. And uh, with that, I think we're going to come back and talk about the bench a little bit. So stay tuned. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to Cavs Podcast. I'm Nate Smith. I'm here with Eli Kim and Chris Francis. And we're talking about the Cavs-Celtics overtime battle last night. Uh, the Cavs bench uh, definitely struggled last night. And... You know, you, before we went to the breaks, break, Chris, talked a little bit about the Kevin Love uh, and uh, Chetty Osmond being part of the Cavs' best lineups. I think we saw a little bit of Kevin Love's flaws last night. Um, you know, they were definitely hunting him on defense. Uh, he got swatted a couple times when he tried to go inside. 
he kind of drove me nuts. He got blocked twice trying to go in from the left side with a right side uh, layup or right hand layup. And if he'd have just used the lefty, he'd have had a he wouldn't have gotten blocked. He might not have made it. But that's uh, old Kevin Love weakness going way back. And then you saw bad Chetty tonight, you know, or last night. 0 for 3, uh, 2 points in 12 minutes. Chetty is very much a trick-or-treat player at this point. And uh, and and Kevin Love, when he's not hitting threes, 0 of 5, um, he's a bit of a liability, especially defensively. So I kind of... Uh, fortunately, Dean Wade had a positive impact, even though he only scored four points. But uh, kind of the Cavs' best bench player was Rolo, and he only played five minutes. So. Um, and what did you see from the bench? Anything concern you, or is it just a matchup, or kind of do they need to change how they're approaching this, Chris? Oh, yeah, it's totally the matchup. I mean, uh, Boston's uber-athletic, and so the – you know, I don't. I wouldn't classify Love as an elite athlete anymore. Uh, no offense. <laughs> no offense. You, you heard the whole joke about him dunking last night, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They were ripping on him, weren't they? I, you know, but the thing is, is you know what I would push back on is I don't think Chetty was bad. I think he got robbed of minutes. You know, he it was a plus six point nine net rating on the night. He was rebounding like a madman for the minutes he was in. Um, and he pushes the pace, you know, he, he's the one that, uh, really is, uh, big on getting the ball forward. He's good at the good look ahead passes. He's good at receiving those passes, making something happen. So I think JB just flat, you know, he just saw the shoot. He kind of just made a snap judgment. Oh, his jumper's not a it, you know, so I'm going to take him off the court. And I thought that was a mistake. You know, I think he could have rode him a couple more minutes, bought more minutes for, you know, I think he could have bought at least you know, four minutes a piece for Garland and Mitchell, you know, or Levert, you know, Levert played 46 minutes. That's ridiculous. So, yeah, um, I'm starting to worry about that. Yeah. He's just, you know, you got to trust your players. So, I mean, even if they're having an off shooting night, you know, he was Chetty's. I, I feel like he's contributing in ways, you know, he moves the ball and he's seems like a willing rebounder this year all of a sudden. So that's cool. Um, love with love. It was just, he couldn't shoot, you know, 30, 32% true shooting. His jumper was just off uh, 91.2 offensive rating while he was on the floor. So obviously he, he just wasn't getting it done offensively. And so, you know, I just chalk it up to a bad shooting night, you know, and, and, well, and that's he, what normally happens. he brings it on. Yeah. Normally he brings it on offense. When you get older, you just become more inconsistent because some days sure. the body works and oh, some yeah. days it doesn't. Absolutely. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it sucks. I, I'd say the other part of the Chetty Osmond debate is why is Isaac Okoru even getting eight minutes at this point? Uh, he literally pitched an over one turnover minus six, two fouls in eight minutes and zero other stats. I mean, what do the Cavs do about Isaac Okoru here, Eli? Man, I don't know. I really don't. Cause I think, I think it's really telling that even when they subbed Garland out when he was getting hunted and the offense were defense, it, they never went back to him. I mean, his confidence was just so shot. They couldn't even – they didn't even want to put him in to play defense, which is, you know, a pretty, a pretty bad sign. I think his value is pretty low too, though. So it's just – it's really hard to 
envision a scenario unless he magically gets hot shooting where he's playing a lot of minutes for the Cavs. It just seems pretty hard. Well, given the injury report for Wednesday or for Friday's game against Detroit, where currently Mitchell and Garland and somehow, uh, well, I can't remember the other one. Mitchell Garland and Neto are all listed as questionable. Uh, and somehow Dylan Windler is out again after being available for the last game. Um, Isaac Okoro might have to play some more minutes if if the Cavs miss a significant chunk of their uh, of their starting lineup. And I almost think Detroit that, is the team to probably let him do that against. <laughs> well, that, it, that's what I'm saying. You know, let, yeah. maybe Detroit is the get right game for Isaac Okoro. Maybe, but. You know, it's talking about the bench. Um, I just wanted to have a little tidbit. I actually agree a lot on the Osman point. I don't get why he didn't play more. I mean, his shot wasn't falling, but he was doing, he was playing good defense, I thought, for, you know. He was for him, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, for him. And then I thought he, re- he like, did his fair part rebounding. Um, and then on top of that, I the more and more I just think about it, and I feel like this would solve a lot of problems. I think Dean Wade has to start instead of Levert. Um, I I know it's kind of weird to rock the boat like that, especially because we haven't seen Garland play. Obviously, he's only played in two games out of seven. But I just think Levert going to the bench would really alleviate you know his overusage, his um, you know he's basically playing like two different players when he's the two he's much more aggressive, has a ball in his hands, is a better playmaker. But when he's playing with Garland and Mitchell, he's pretty passive. And then that's, I feel like, where he gets makes the most mistakes because he feels like, oh, it's not my turn. You know, like the other two guys got to do more right now than I do. So that's so, that starting lineup is a minus, a net rating of minus 3.7. And it's the offense that's terrible. The defense is fine. It's it's that they have not figured it out on offense yet. Um, with that trio of, and that's obviously to be expected. They played twenty eight minutes together. Uh, Levert, Mitchell, and Garland. Yeah, I mean, and the Cavs this season have been slow starters. I don't think it matters who starts. They just dig themselves a hole in every game. It feels like even against the Magic, um, they did that. So I just think. Um, maybe it's better just to do it now. I mean, why not um, do that and just see how it feels? But I think that Levert is playing better than I expected, to be honest. And um, I think, again, like similar to the Mitchell point, it's not because of that 41-point game. It's because even though he was an ofer, he still had a positive impact on the game with his defensive playmaking. So that's... Well, and, and Karis Levert, a huge offensive rebound late in that game. And I believe he had an enormous offensive rebound in the previous game uh, down the stretch. So, you know, it's not like he's not making winning plays Uh, and he's definitely rebounding for the three spot, which the Cavs absolutely need. Um, But, you know, you and I, uh, Chris and I were talking about it in the first segment, Uh, Levert suddenly can't finish and he, he's not making the simple play a finishing like when 
the the big play to me that stood out was Garland threw that just ridiculous behind the back pass to him on the break. And honestly, Lavert got bailed out by a bad call. He blew the he kind of yeah. didn't know whether he wanted to dunk <laughs> it or lay it up, blew it. And I think it was Jalen Brown got a phantom foul called against him that was really kind of garbage. Uh unfortunately, you know, the Cavs at least got free throws out of it, but Lavert's a little off his game around the basket for sure. Yeah, well, I don't know if this is true. But... Shooting threes well. Yeah, I didn't know if it's true, but I thought his three percent three point percentage is still higher than his two point percentage right now. But I, I don't know how it couldn't be because I haven't seen a game recently where it wasn't higher. <laughs> so I mean it was forty three percent from three last night and thirty three from the field. So <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, but he's doing everything else. I mean, oh, right, right, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like a, the team success is overwhelming, so it's just like kind of justifies itself. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. I totally believe what I totally buy what you're selling in terms of Dean Wade. I think it was a little bit criminal. Wade only got well, part of that was foul trouble because uh, he had yeah. four fouls. Uh, but 24 minutes seemed low for Dean Wade last night. I mean. He was guarding Tatum, and he did a pretty good job, I thought. I yeah. mean, yeah, um, except for the one play that got him to overtime, yeah. Correct. Well, I blame that on the coaching. He was told to play up on him. That, he, yeah. He was yeah. told to defend him that way. So I didn't know why he was guarding him from the backcourt. Like <laughs> from three-quarter court, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He gave him a running start, too. Hey, you like, know what? You, you don't give him a three, and they didn't give him a three. So in That's some true. ways, no, you go, no, you're hey, right. You can't lose if you give them a two. So, no, it's absolutely so. true. So, I mean, they, they were definitely coached that way for sure. One more point on Levert before we move on. Um, actually, Levert so far this season actually kind of reminds me a little bit of Rubio in terms of stat line and impact. That's a where, good point. I like. Remember it. how it's Rubio last right. year like couldn't finish at all, but he was a little hot off the three, making good plays, playing good defense. Um, so in a weird way, Levert, even though he's a bigger player, has kind of filled that role and he has the gravity, like the reputational gravity is what I like to call it. Um, where teams like want to still guard him, even though he's shooting terrible percentages, like in certain spots. And I think Rubio had the same kind of impact where even though he was like shooting like 40, less than 40% on, you know, at the rim, teams were still super focused on trying to prevent those drives leading to other better opportunities. Well, it's interesting that you say that because the other thing that Levert reminds me of with Rubio is the way Rubio, at least last year and Levert this year can just go supernova every now and again. And that Levert 30, 41 point outburst, I think two games ago, kind of being an example of that. And then the next game barely scoring at all, uh, very reminiscent of uh, Rubio in that way. So I really like the comp. Were you going to say something, Chris? Well, no, I was just going to say that uh, among starters, Karis LeVert leads the Cavs in net rating at 12.5. That's crazy. Plus 12.5. Yeah. Yeah. He's He's been a stud. He's just been an ultimate role-playing. He's just been the ultimate role-player, an elite role-player for the Cavs this year. Interesting. So um, let's say theoretical, the Cavs decide to give Garland and Mitchell the night off. I honestly think that Mitchell getting the night off is more likely uh, just because 
Uh, JB's been a little tibsian with uh, Donovan Mitchell this season, and I'm a little concerned about the minutes counts. But um, let's say both those guys are unable to play. Kind of, how would you stack the lineup for the Cavs, Eli? If both the guys are out, yeah. Um, I think you have to go Levert, Okoro, Wade. Mobley Allen. I think that's how you'd start the game. Oof, and I a, think that's tough shooting. That's scary. It is. That's but I scary, think dude. I think scary. you bring in you bring in Howell Neto pretty quick. Uh, no Neto. Neto's questionable too. Yeah. But I think honestly, I think out of the, out of necessity, one of the Garland or Mitchell have to play or <laughs> they're not gonna be able to play or have a, a functioning point guard. So I hopefully mean, both are one of the two are playing. That's I, I feel like scenario. it's gonna be a lot of uh Lavert at the one, Chetty probably the backup one, and Isaac Okoro playing a lot of two, which uh, you know, maybe it is the get right game for Isaac Okoro and then I yeah. I also think we're gonna see some Lamar Stevens uh to to the Okoro thing, I think the one thing they could do to help him is and it's going to be hard to do because it's going to require a lot of creativity on JB's part, but they've got to basically try to run him in like, like heavily offensively, you know, laden shooting lineups. You know, it's got to be, he's got to be on the floor with like Love and Wade as the two, you know, as the two bigs basically. And like, Garland in some combination of like Garland Mitchell and uh Levert in the backcourt. You know, he's just got to be surrounded by shooting, you know, basically. That's 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 kind of what worked last year. If it, like there was a period of time last season where there was lineups of like Larry Marketin, Kevin Love, um Lamar Stevens, Okoro and Garland. You know, what I mean, it'd be like basically surrounding Stevens and Okoro with shooting and using Stevens and Okoro as like point of attack defenders, you know? And so it's just going to have to be lineup creativity that maybe gets Okoro going, you know, that that's the only solution I can really think of. I don't know what you guys think. And, and using uh, that kind of point of attack to turn defense into offense. Yeah, exactly. Just run. Yeah, try to yeah. run at every chance you get. Yeah, no yeah. set offense. Try to avoid the half-court offense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and with that, we'll be right back. Welcome back to Cavs Podcast. I'm Nate Smith with Chris Francis and Eli Kim. And uh, the Cavs last night, uh, a little bit uh, concerned right now with what I'm seeing uh, from Jared Allen. I feel like he's been off to a slow start this year. Like, definitely the best player from all the analytic standpoints on the Cavs last year was Jared Allen. And I feel like he has not been as effective both defensively uh, and offensively, uh, especially on his hook shot. Seems like he's not getting enough lift on it and uh, leaving a lot of shots short. Uh, his touch isn't quite there. feel like he's kind of lacking a little upper body strength. What are we seeing from a kind of net rating as a player and analytics in general on him, Chris? Yeah, I mean, really the story the numbers say is that his struggles are mainly confined to the offensive side. 
Um, 102.5 defensive rating on the season. That's obviously excellent, championship worthy, elite, whatever you want to say. 109.8 on the offensive end. So that's that's below average. So his struggles are basically confined to the offensive end. And what stands out about the numbers is basically his true shooting percentage is only 57.8. I say only for him because normally he's a guy that lives around 70. You know, he, he lives yeah. around the 70%, you know, true shooting rate. So he's just off. He's way off by his own standards. Uh, he's still a positive player. You know, plus 7.3 is excellent. If he maintained that on the season, he's like a all-star candidate or something, you know, or, or an all-NBA candidate, you know, with those kind of numbers. But, uh, you know, but, you know, in the context of this team and how excellent they've been, um, his offense is really something, I guess that's the thing to keep an eye on. And I agree with you. There's just like, he's just not finishing as well as he used to. He, he's, he seems to be way out of rhythm on the offensive end, but luckily he's still bringing it on the defensive end, especially, I think he's been clutch, you know, he doesn't seem like he's as consistent, but he's definitely been clutch, you know, stepping up in the fourth quarter. He's had multiple fourth quarter shows, you know, where big blocks, you know, I think he'd have one in the last game, right? You, know, you, you talked about the play, the help to stop, uh, the help to stop Marcus Smart in the post um, down the stretch. You know, that was a huge play, and, and he didn't really do anything until that point. You know, but he comes through in the clutch, so he's been definitely clutch. I can definitely say that. Eli, are you kind of seeing the same thing about the his shooting? Yeah, I think. Um... Correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like he was like top two in field goal percentage the last two seasons. So, oh yeah, that sounds actually so, the only guy I can compete with him is Rudy. Yeah, and I just think, in a weird way, I feel like he is dunking more viciously, and I think he has those like random dunks more often. But his hook shot last year, I just thought it was like money, but this year, I feel like it never goes in. So it's um. I just think there's like something going on on his offensive game. Maybe he's thinking too much. Maybe he's like yielding too much to Mobley or Mitchell and Garland. But his offensive game is just a little, it's not that, it's never been flashy, but it's always been effective. And right now it's, it's not flashy and it's not effective. So it's kind of sticking out. I will say in he's in his defense, he is getting absolutely mugged sometimes and not getting calls um and the stats back that up uh this is far and away his lowest free throw rate uh despite being around the same usage as his whole career uh his free throw rate is two twenty nine percent uh as opposed to uh you know his next highest lowest year is 37 percent so he's definitely getting to the line a lot less than he has in the past and to me it's not like he's drawing any less contact it's just he's not getting calls um Uh, i'd agree with that another thing you know i guess to you know put a finer point on this conversation about jaron allen i think one of the things that's interesting is if you look at the on-off splits between the Twin Towers, you know, between Tower City at Jared Allen, Evan Mobley, it says that Jared Allen is completely different as a player 
you know, uh, with uh, Mobley versus without. Like, he's a plus 17 on the season without Mobley. Um, only a plus two with Evan Mobley. Um, so they've yet to figure out the kind of their rhythm on both ends of the court, it seems, uh, especially defensively. Well, and that kind of goes back to what you were saying about the starting lineup and, and a lot of this. And maybe that's part of the reason the Cavs are so scary that these lineups haven't played a, a, together a ton and they're still six and one. Um, sure. I, and I do feel like they haven't quite gotten that big to big chemistry or the defensive. Uh, and, and a lot of that probably is because the lineup, especially losing Garland early is kind of thrown a lot of the lineups out of whack. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and that's, that's a, also hurt yeah. Jared Allen because Jared Allen does not have the chemistry with Mitchell that he does with um, Garland. I mean, you could see it last night. Garland just threw, remember that one, just filthy alley-oop to him uh, where he kind of did that sidestep move and then you thought he was going to shoot it and he just threw a nasty alley-oop to Allen coming from the opposite angle. I mean, it was it was a thing. Oh yeah, no, that's a great point because really, if you think about what the base of this offense is, the base of this offense is the Garland Allen pick and roll, like everything kind of, or at least the there. base of last year's offense. Sure, yes, no, that's probably more accurate to say. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, exactly. It all starts with that play, for sure. One thing that Allen is doing well is rebounding. Uh, this is his highest per game rebounding average of his career right now at 12.2 a game. And his rebound percentages uh, in terms of rebound rate and uh, total rebound percentage are just a hair under his last year and his last time in Brooklyn. Um, but he's rebounding very well. Um, and I'd love to see that continue because it was a little bit of a problem in the first couple of games and it feels like he's just taking over the reins as a rebounder which is nice because Mobley Mobley is a lot of things but an elite defensive rebounder isn't one of them <laughs> so get him come on Mobley we, we know you can yeah. become the double double Mr. Yeah. Double Double yeah, and I honestly, I mean, the rebounding actually has really impressed me the last couple games. Uh, it feels like they're gang rebounding. It feels like Levert is even like you said, Chetty, um, as Chetty's well as up. yeah, as well as uh, and I think Mitchell, Dean Wade makes a world of difference. I mean, it's well, just crazy. and Mitchell, Mitchell yeah. for his oh, size, yeah. those jump up, get the one handed rebound. Like when Mitchell wants the ball, I feel like nobody's going to take it from him. Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah. That's what makes him him. Anything you want to add about uh, Jared Allen or rebounding? <laughs> yeah, honestly, I think um, even though Jared Allen is getting a lot of rebounds, I think it's more of that Mobley's just not getting them. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm being yeah, too pessimistic. I'd no, I'd agree with that. His percentages haven't been great to start off the season. You know what he reminds yeah. me of a little bit, too, is – the first couple years that uh, Tristan Thompson was in the league, remember how he chased blocks just like relentlessly and his rebounding numbers suffered because he was so far out of position uh, after going for a block. It reminds me of that a little bit as well. Um, so anyway, uh, moving on the, I want to talk about the the Celtics a little bit uh, 
I feel it. You know, one of the great lines from yesterday was, you know, after that win was say the line Bart and he goes, the E still goes through Cleveland, <laughs> you know? So <laughs> I, I, I feel like this is not last year's Celtics team and not having RG three has been a huge issue for them. Uh, what, what did you see that impressed you from the Celtics last night? And what did you see that you're really happy is not working? Uh, Chris, I mean, the most impressive thing of course is Jason Tatum, you know, continuing to ride the wave, uh, uh, Jalen Brown too, to be honest, those two, you know, they continue to, uh, look fantastic and really are carrying the team as far as offense is concerned. The concerning part is the vibe. It's totally the vibe. I mean, the Eme thing, it, it just won't. It, now, you know, there's rumors flying about, you know, why he was suspended but not fired. Like, people have questions. There was players who were questioning why he wasn't fired but suspended. Um, and they were questioning the suspension. Um uh, there's, you know, just crazy shit surrounding the team that's off the court, you know, yeah. and, uh, and it's reflected in their play. They, I mean, two overtime games and what did the Cavs do? They slammed the door shut in the crunch time, you know, like they, they just, especially the game in Boston, they emphatically slammed the door on them. I mean, it was just like, you know. Uh, it was role reversal essentially. The Cavs were acting like the team that's been there before. So um, I'm scared if I'm a Boston fan. I'm worried. You know, a lot of it has does have to do with Robert. You know, Williams, no question. Like he's, I think he's underrated. He's been perpetually. I guess he's not underrated anymore now that people are talking about him. But uh, yeah, they're missing him. And then the Eme thing. I don't know, man. What I I don't know, like. I do. I can't. I wish I could remember if we took the unders because I think, I think we did. Uh, just because I think of the we did. thing, yeah, yeah. Just I don't and, know what you and guys. Robert think. Williams. Yeah. Right. So I don't. I don't know what you guys think, but I mean, it seems different. Well, to me, there's not good. I was not nearly as impressed with Tatum and Brown as you are, and I loved. Like I was, you know, it's so funny. I was so glad that uh, Austin Carr was back last night. Uh, on the Cavs broadcast. I don't know if you guys get that feed, but, uh, you know, after hearing my uh, snooze-inducing grandpa uh, call the last <laughs> few games. Oh, no, it wasn't. Yeah. No, it was. Was it Austin Carr last night or was it? It was Brad Doherty last night. It was oh, both. no, it was Carr. It was both. Oh, they were both there. Okay. Yeah. Um, I really thought Austin Carr was hilarious talking about Jalen Brown. He's like, he's not going to pass it. He gets the ball. He's going to shoot. <laughs> like, <laughs> And 10 for 26 kind of bears that out. I thought uh, Jalen Brown just talk about bad vibes. He plays like a guy that just seems angry at everyone, including his own teammates. Well, he and, got he got embroiled with the he was one of three players signed to Kanye West's uh agency. Oh, oh wow. So he had to he's had to do damage control over the past few weeks uh including I guess he was involved with the school like with the basketball team at at Kanye's school that just is now defunct or what whatever is it the called? Hell Dota? Happened. Yeah, Donda Donda Academy. Yeah. And so uh he 
and and also he's not exactly in his approach to the situation kind of is mirroring what you're saying about him, which is like, he's just kind of mad and being weird about the whole situation, you know? So, but, but really he's the one that has to account, you know? So I don't know, man. I mean, it's, it, then the, on top of the trade rumors, you got to wonder where his head's at, you know, is, does, does he have one foot out the door already? I don't know. Well, what about you, Eli? Um, what, what do you make of the whole situation? Do they scare you anymore? honestly they do and um in a way the i think the first game was more understandable or more surprising because garland didn't play but this game albeit it is garland's first game back um, winning against the celtics who had to use sam hauser Cornette for you know more than you know the minutes they should be getting which is zero um that's where I am kind of a little worried, uh, to be honest. But in a in a way, Marcus Smart is one of the things that I'm con- just perplexed because everyone says he's good, and I feel like in the finals he was really good or really bad, and it just it's just so interesting that he's like he's kind of like Jetty, where Jetty can be really good for multiple games, and then he's ice cold for multiple games but the swings and the level of play that smart has within the same game it has to be super frustrating as a celtics fan because yeah, for sure there are plays where he looks like one the best player on the court and then you know when the Literally celtics are the coming opposite. back to, yeah yeah when they're coming back to force ot like he literally or in overtime he cost he i think he basically t- squandered two possessions in a row where he just needed to make one swing pass and Horford had to open three or, you know, Jalen Brown was cutting to the basket, but he's like, no, it's Marcus smart time. And he takes like a mid range (laughs) pull up. So it's just so interesting to me that it's like, he can't consistently make the right play even throughout the game. Um, So the Celtics do still scare me. I think just the talent alone and albeit their talent is at the position where the Cavs are the weakest. Um, that's what makes it um, hard for me to not be scared, to not not be scared of them, I guess is the way to put it. Yeah, I'm I'm really a little bit baffled at the way this roster is constructed. I don't quite understand how you could go through the finals and then not add another quality big man. I mean, they've already kind of given up on Noah Vonley. Um, Al Horford is in his, what was it I heard? Uh, his demon, his demon years contract has not, uh, expired yet. Wow. <laughs> Basically, wow. the implication was that his deal with the devil isn't up yet. Um, well, you know, if, I, you, if you listen to the post game, Darius Garland was saying, like, that was the game plan. The game plan was to attack Horford, attack inside at the no bigs. Yeah, well, I mean, you can say that, but Horford was arguably one of the Celtics' best players last night. Oh, sure. So, you know, offensively. get up when it's once every blue moon. Yeah, well, and and Tristan Thompson's not playing either. But uh, Uh, the the other thing is they feel like they have a big-time bench problem right now. Like, the drop-off after Grant Williams and Malcolm Brogdon – 
is substantial. Like Sam Hauser, they just destroyed him at the end of the third quarter. Like he was just a foul machine. The Cavs were making a parade to the line. Um, I feel like they need. And then, of course, we saw Cornette get destroyed in the last game when basically Mitchell dunked on him and, you know, ruined his career. <laughs> um, I, I think they have a bench problem and they don't scare me as much as they used to. Also, Derek White not playing well, and, although I feel like he's a guy that needs good vibes to play well. So, yeah, they're they're a bit of a mess. Uh, what are the odds? in your book that uh, President Stevens comes down and has to coach his team. Eli, you think that's going to happen or you think that ship has sailed? Oh, I think it's still a possibility. I don't think it's this Ooh, year. Um, wow, really? I think, I really think at the end of the season, if the Celtics disappoint, they're going to have a press conference where he says, we're going to look for the best candidate, a global search, and then two weeks later is going to be, and that person is me. So I will be coming <laughs> wow. back. Wow. Who's coming back? Dude. This guy. This, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. Um, we we got to use that. We got to use EG's photo when that happens. <laughs> but um, I I still think that's a possibility. But I, it's going to be tough because I feel like the players, I feel like Tatum and Jalen Brown especially don't, didn't like playing for uh, Brad Stevens. So. Um, uh, I think it, it could happen and it likely will, but I just think that for the vibes, it's not the right choice. Sorry. I just realized I left all my doors open and woke my wife up. I'm the worst. Anyway, <laughs> sorry, to, sorry to bring the podcast down there. Um, I'll probably edit that out. Break the, fo- break the fourth wall. I, I really did. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And I would say the other thing. I, I would not put the odds of a, a Jalen Brown trade. I, I think they're better than the 50%, just judging from the vibes of this team and kind of judging. This, to me, feels like a lost season for the Celtics, and Jalen Brown seems like a guy who has one foot out the door and also you know kind of in the Kyrie mode of a little too woke for his own good. Um, and so... I, I do think he's going to kind of try the grass is greener philosophy. And I think the Cavs or the Celtics would be wise to sell. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Uh, and with that, we'll be right back. Welcome back to Cavs podcast. I'm Nate Smith here with Chris Francis and Eli Kim. And uh, I think we kind of wrapped up this Celtics Cavs uh, said all we could say about it, but there's certainly a lot more to say about the NBA, which has been, a bit of a circus in the last two weeks between Kyrie Irving and uh, was it uh, Josh Primo? And, oh yeah, right. And Bridges, and, Bridges, and uh, Bridges. Yeah. And, well, no, it's the other one, Miles. Um, yeah, you're right, Miles Bridges. Apologies, Mister McCall Bridges, who shouldn't shouldn't uh, bear the <laughs> shame of sharing a name with uh, a domestic abuser. So, yeah, it's. You know, and you and I were talking earlier, Chris, where the hell is Adam Silver? Like, what is going on? Yeah, no, it's an interesting. Uh, uh, one of the things that a buddy of mine brought up and it needs to be addressed by Adam Silver is, you know, is Miles Bridges just all of a sudden now going to get a job now that he avoided jail time? Is he just now going to get like a contract and get or get traded to a team that's willing to sign him? What about Josh Primo? Is he going to get signed now that he's been waived? 
Like that's the and Ime has already switched teams. Like there's a situation here where like they're just like moving guys around with bad reputations and giving them jobs. You know what I mean? So like you know, where's the line? Where's the you know, where's the players association stance on it? Where's the owner stance? It's just kind of a weird situation with well, uh, a lack Kyrie of leadership. Irving's a vice president of the NBA exactly. Players Association. That, that's what makes it even more convoluted. Absolutely. So, you know, wh- you know what is going on, and where's Adam Silver? You know, again, you know, like wh- wh- what does he have to say about this? <laughs> I mean, I've heard the take that uh, Adam Silver kind of blew all his political capital uh, with the Robert Sarver situation. And that's part of why he kind of doesn't want to wade into any of this. I've also heard uh, a guy with one foot out the door might be Adam Silver as he was kind of recruited by uh, Silicon Valley a little bit. I, I do what? think that. What? What's yeah, there was, what? What's going there on? was rumors earlier this year that he was being recruited by Silicon Valley to be an executive. And uh, Oh, my gosh. Like, I know what he's going to do. What? What is he going to do? He's going to be the new CEO of Twitter. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, no, I absolutely think he's going to be the new CEO of Hot Shots. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> he's an Adam NFT Silver. Oh, man. Oh, man. But, yeah, I mean, where you know, be nice for him to make a comment on the state of his league. <laughs> yeah, and, and to be fair, this is a very small number of players uh, on a league that I think on the whole comports itself pretty well. And honestly, of the three major sports leagues, I would choose the NBA over the other two when it comes to, you know, off the field issues. But the Josh Primo situation, kind of super concerning allegations that he was exposing himself to the team counselor who uh, put up with it for a year. His uh, people adamantly deny it after he kind of had a mea culpa and now is walking it back. Um, you know, what is the the Kyrie Irving situation where he just kind of re- blatantly refuses to denounce anti-Semitism? And Kyrie Irving is such a frustrating individual. <laughs> I don't know how <laughs> else to put it uh, politically correct, but he's just one of those people that can never seem to admit he's wrong always has to be the smartest guy in the room. Like always kind of has to feel like he's just a little bit more clever than you. Um, I don't think that guy has an ounce of humility. I I don't know. Am I reading that wrong, Eli? No, I think you're right. I think, I think he loves attention, but not negative. attention. Amen. Amen. And I think candidly, he thought he could get away and say like, Oh, this is, you know, it was a harmless, you know, retweet, and now it's just kind of blown up to something where he has to walk it back, and him walking back would be him admitting that he was wrong, and he's that's why I think he's refusing to do it. Um, I mean, it's the news childish. Yeah, the news that's dropping obviously is that he is suspended by the Nets for five games without pay. Um, where Adam Silver did have a statement, but my whole thing with the Kyrie thing is. I just feel like it's not a fair, you know, process. And I think the fact that they're doing it this late um, just makes it feel cheaper. 
uh, if I have to be honest with you. Oh, I'm with you. Because, like, Charles Barkley had that good, you know, segment where he said, where's the NBA? They should have, like, suspended him the day, like, the, within the same day that it all happened. But they well, let a lollygag around. And, isn't it kind of problematic that literally the NBA's disciplinary committee is Shaq and Charles and Kenny? Like, if they hadn't said anything, I don't know if this had gone anywhere. You know what I mean? No, that's, yeah. That, that was a great point that was made. Like, there's been no players that have said anything, basically. No one said anything, really. Who said anything? Has anybody said anything? Yeah, I, I don't know what it is. I mean, I feel like a little bit of this is the BLM uh, well, kind of hangover. Actually, I stand corrected. There is one player that said something, and it was the Cavs' own Robin Lopez. Oh, what did he say? What did he say? He just, you know, it was a vague statement of disapproval or just, you know, it, it was. But Kyrie's it, a dope, basically. Yeah, it was just some some version of, you know, uh, here, I can I should look it yeah. up because it's probably we'll talk amongst report. ourselves yeah. while hot Googling action ensues. That's right. Um, no, I mean, it's it's ridiculous that it got to that point. But the other side of it is I kind of see what you're saying, too, Eli. I mean, I I think if Kyrie had just said, yeah, that was dumb, I shouldn't have posted that, it would be over. But Kyrie literally refuses to do that. And you brought up a great point on Twitter today where you said basically, like, what's the difference between this and the Myers-Leonard situation? And the, the difference is, is that Myers-Leonard was a scrub who was overpaid yep. at the time yep. um, and nobody cared about, you know. No, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Okay, so I found the Robert. Okay, so Robin Lopez, it says, reported by Clutch Points, the first active player to take some sort of action denouncing Irvin's actions. He retweeted Kareem's Substack post about Kyrie, which makes oh, okay. him the first active player to post something disagreeing with what Kyrie posted. Even well, if it's a retweet and not yeah. his own tweet. Interesting. Interesting. I mean, it was. It's just really frustrating. And kind of what I said about the BLM hangover, I feel like a lot of these guys don't even want to get involved. Like, they're just like, that no good can come for me either way. I don't want to touch it. I'm walking away. Yeah. I mean, well, and they have an out because I think there's two things going on in parallel. It's first thing that's easy to identify is just Kyrie's actions and his own stupidity and his own arrogance and ignorance and la da 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 da. But the second thing is, you know, and I was discussing this with a few friends of mine is just, there's a systemic thing to this as well. That's kind of sad, which is, you know, the intersection of, you know, race and class in this country where, you know, education has been gatekeeped by white elites in this country for its entire existence and poor black people have a negative reaction of course uh to this reality and it produces you know thoughts like this you know essentially it, it, these kind of ideologies appeal to people as a reaction to mar marginalized people yeah absolutely so and 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 even the subsequent reaction to their re their own provo provocations is you know trapped in that. So because who's who's calling Kyrie out? It's mostly like white liberal media, you know, and and just 
you know, ESPN and ABC or, you know, CBS or whoever the hell, you know, owns these corporations and these media corporations. Uh, Yeah, but I don't think it really got traction until the NBA veterans said something, you know, Kareem, Shaq, Kenny, Charles. I think that's, you know, where it got the traction. But I also think you're absolutely right. It's indicative of a, you know, a movement and, you know, this this QAnon and all these conspiracy theories that have been floating around uh, and kind of infect uh, groups of every kind of sub or demographic or sub demographic has their own different versions of these things that are kind of ridiculous. That's a good um, point. Yeah. But the other side of it, I would say, is that when you work in an industry, you have to be supremely talented to be a pain in the ass. Like if you are just a person that is difficult to work with, you have to be like the best person at your position in your field. Um, If you're not, people just don't want to bother with you. And I don't want to go. Nobody wants to go to work with somebody that makes a pain in the ass to show up to work every day. I (laughs) that's, that's half the problem here. And that feels like, it's been the issue with the entire Nets locker room for the last three years. So I don't know. So here's the two questions that you just uh, made me think about. The two questions are, okay, so there's already rumors that Kyrie's going to get either get waived or traded to the Lakers. Do you think that happens? And B, how long do you think, do you think KD finishes the year with the Nets? I feel like that's an Eli question. Because we've been talking over him. I keep seeing the, the mute go off and Eli about ready to jump in. And then, like, I just keep bloviating. So, Eli, just no. tell us to shut up and go. No, it's fine. Um, I mean, I, I just have one little take on Kyrie and then I'll move into the question. But for me, the Kyrie thing is it's just hard to stomach because, you know, he's a guy who, you know, grew up in a, you know, somewhat – non-traditional way. I mean, like he grew up in Australia and um, I think and it's just interesting. Private schools in the New Private York schools. Dad played professional or played collegiate ball, which opened opportunities for his dad. I mean, unfortunately his mother passed away at a young age when he was young. So look, um, I, I guess I, you know, I can't, I'm not a black man, so I shouldn't, you know, maybe, try to expound on that but for me it's just it's just hard to understand um like what's the whole point of what he's doing like it's it's like if you want us to think you're some intellect then you're going to have to prove it to us instead of retweeting things like the smartest person in a room doesn't tell people that he's the smartest person in the room there are actions and ways to do that And I think that transcends any race, socioeconomic status, um, or, you know, anything. I think if you're really that smart, it would transcend that. And he wants the respect of that, but it's like you have to demonstrate that to earn that respect. And that's where I just don't have it for him. So that's, that's the Kyrie front on the Lakers rumors. I just don't see there's any way that LeBron will want to touch this man. Like, Amen. As much as much as LeBron loves winning and 
creating super teams and, you know, allegedly loves Kyrie, there's no way he's going to want to want, want like willingly sign up for this right now. He'd rather like, lose. Like it's worse than the, at least Westbrook just sucks on the court. Yeah. I'm sure him and Westbrook are still friends off. I mean, Westbrook just bought a $30 million house across the street from him. So Westbrook's been looking good off the bench. Apparently has he? Okay. Yeah, it's apparently worked so far. Well, honestly, it makes sense. That's been the biggest problem with Westbrook since he got there. And because LeBron doesn't want to be off the ball. And sure. Westbrook's only good with the ball in his hands. Absolutely. Absolutely. What about KD? What do you think, Eli? I just think that there's no way the um, the Nets owner, Joseph Sy, is going to let him off the hook unless it's... He'd rather go miserable, I think, for three more years than just acquiesce and trade him at this point. Because wow. I, I mean, I sincerely in. think you, that you think he'll dig in. Because the way I look at it is, if you're Joseph Sai, you've bent over backwards, you've done everything for this guy. You're still not winning. You're you took on the Kyrie headache, and everything still is and the Ben you. Simmons headache. Yeah. Oh man. And then to, to on top of all that. Here's like another crazy tidbit that I'm not sure a lot of people know. Um, and I, I can't take the credit. I heard this on the athletic podcast this morning. The Warriors, right, are way over the cap um, and, you know, paying the biggest luxury tax bill ever. What do you think their bottom line looks like? If, if just out of curiosity, off the top of your head, do you think it's good or bad? I, I think they're probably still profitable. I think oh, they yeah. probably make that. $20, yeah. $30 million in profit a year, plus appreciation so, on the asset. Yeah, so here's, I think if, I'm, I may be misquoting the number, but I think the Warriors made $200 million last year. In pre- net. Correct. After wow. luxury tax wow. and all that. Wow. Insane, right? Yeah. Here's, here's a fun fact that I think made me very firm on this uh, stance on KD. Well, how do you think the Nets are doing? They're not in the luxury taxes deep, and they're not. I don't think they're paying the repeater they tax. They're right losing now. money. They're losing money. Right? I bet you they're making a hundred million a year, just given what you just said. No, they're actually they lost forty million dollars last year. What? Yeah. That's insane. <laughs> so, at this point, if you're Joseph Sai and you're already losing forty million dollars, and you did everything that KD and Kyrie wanted, like what what else do you have left to lose? Like, you're not profitable. Like, you're going to acquiesce to just still not make money. You to still be losing you $50 rebuild. million. They, they should go in immediate teardown rebuild mode. It didn't work. I don't know. I just think that KD, I feel like KD is interesting too because he doesn't know what he really wants either. Has and he ever? He's like, well, he's, no, he he's not young anymore. Well, he's a lot no. older than we think. I would say he, he did. He's basically know. got a two year window. Right. Now. And who are they going to trade? There's no one they can get right now. No, that's what I'm saying. They'd have to rebuild. They'd, they'd need mm-hmm. a boatload of picks that they lost from the Harden trade, right? Yeah. I mean, they did get two back, but they're for the 76ers, so they're not going to be great. Right. Um, and then, you know, the Ben Simmons is pretty worthless in terms of trade value. So, I don't know. I think the Nets are pretty screwed, but I just really don't think there's any incentive for them to make a KD trade, I mean, at this point, and I'm I'm on the mindset that if you're just a side, you have pride and you put your foot down and just say, look, I fired Nash. 
my last Hail Mary right now is Ime Adoka. Even though the <laughs> NBA hates me, that's one coach that you guys allegedly respected before he left us to go for <laughs> to go coach the Celtics. Hi Joe so, Wives. Hi Joe Kid. <laughs> you know, one of my one of my favorite bits about the whole thing was uh just the joke about how horny that late aughts uh Spurs team was with oh, Tony yeah. Parker and Tony now Ime Udoka and that whole mess. So yeah. Good for them. <laughs> Get some. Good for the ladies of San Antonio, as, <laughs> as Charles Barkley would affectionately say. Oh man, yeah, and I just kind of want to. I mean, I thought that was all amazing stuff, Eli. Uh, I wanted to circle back a little bit to what Chris alluded, Chris and Eli both alluded to. You know, uh, talking about these kind of people that don't know how to read the room and. If you if you want us to think you're smart, you know, act like you're smart and don't the smartest person in the room doesn't say he's the smartest person in the room. But I feel like that's really much a sign, very, very much a sign of the times. Um, You know, everything is built up around cults of personality. And that's been in, you know, social media has accelerated that. And, you know, it's, it's very in keeping with the I. I call it the Trumpification of the NBA, and it's really the Trumpification of every space. You know, you've got Elon Musk has to think he's the smartest guy in the room. You know, Donald Trump, uh, Ron DeSantis, Kyrie Irving, like so many of these people, there's no such thing as bad press. Kanye, I mean, they're all malignant narcissists. And how do you deal with that? The only way to deal with those people is to deplatform them. And it's so incredibly difficult to do. Um because otherwise you're just playing into what they want noise, you know, flood the zone with shit as Steve Bannon would say. So I, I don't know how to deal with it. Um, and I guess with that, we'll be right back. Welcome back to Casa podcast. I'm Nate Smith. I'm here with Chris Francis and Eli Kim, who I should introduce first because they are the talent behind this, uh, podcast. So, uh, but, uh, just looking forward to the Cavs schedule coming up. Uh, we've got, Big game. Well, it might it might be a load management game on Friday because what did you tell me, Chris? The Cavs are on a four, five, five. game four. Yeah, five four game, game road, five game road trip with no, it's four, four game. Or, oh yeah, four in no, California. Five. Yeah, yeah you're four right. Four in California. Yeah, yeah. The infamous wine trip happening in November this year. <laughs> is it? Is it? Is I'm assuming is a good season, right? They just harvested and you know. <laughs> get some Pinot Noirs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Little little French or is it French Laundry? Is that <laughs> Probably, it is? yeah. Is that what it yeah. is called? Yeah, I can't remember. Little Nobu. There yeah. you go. Yes, that's the that's the one. Yeah. So big game on Sunday. Obviously, the Lakers. You think there's going to be a lot of hype about that game, or are the Lakers so bad that nobody's really going to talk about it? I feel oh, like they're no, going to be... no, it's LeBron. Come yeah, on. you know, I'm surprised it's not they'll, a national they'll, TV they'll man, game. They'll manufacture hype for it if they have to. Yeah, no, you're right. That's weird. It's not a national game. Yeah, well, it's it would be if it wasn't NFL season, but they don't put national games on Sunday because they don't want to go up against the NFL. Yeah. It's a three. Yeah, it would have been the national game if it was post NFL. Yeah, but they do have a national game on Monday against yep. the Clippers on yes, NBA do. TV. So that's a big deal. And then the 
oddly constructed Sacramento Kings who keep beating teams, but then also keep giving up a ton of points. Um, and then we've got Golden State who lost to Orlando tonight in a crazy shocker. Wow. Yeah, one thirty one twenty nine. Orlando won that game. Oh, love it! God, shoot it in my veins. <laughs> so, but at the beginning of the podcast, before we started, you were saying what were you saying about Golden State? Oh, I mean, they don't care about the season at all. I mean, it, that's just my take. Like, I, okay. I'm just speculating, but, like, they don't care about the regular as season. As long as they get, like, a top all. five seed, basically. Yeah, if they get a top six seed, hell, they probably don't even care about the play-in. You know, they they probably would take their chances in the play-in. I think they just want to be healthy. They they just want the core guys to be healthy and in to at least the play-in by the spring. That's all they care about. They think they they probably have that kind of confidence that LeBron had, you know, 2018. You know, don't have to have the best record that could coast in the regular season as soon as, as, soon as uh, the All-Star break will start turning it up. So that's nice. what I'm thinking about Golden State. Nice. So five-game road trip. Are you Although their for- bench sucks. James Wiseman. Woof. Yeah. Well, I mean, Poole's a good scorer, but he also – is not a great defender. Yep. So, and he's not cheap anymore. <laughs> That's true. He he took a punch for thirty million a year. Exactly. <laughs> oh man. So, uh, what do you give him on this road trip? I'm I'm hoping for three and two. I feel like that's a tough like. So they have five games and seven nights. You hope? I think you hope they take two, right? Yeah. I think it's going to be tough. Yeah. I think so too. Yeah, I feel like 2 2 out of 5 would would that keeps your head above water. Yeah. I agree. Nate, are you there? I'm muted cuz I'm a moron. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting here having a conversation with myself. <laughs> it's been a long week. What, yeah, what what would you say? I have nothing useful. I no. mean, why would I? <laughs> no, I just I'm hoping for three and two. Um, I don't think they'll load manage the L.A. Clippers game, although I think they should because it's an NBA TV game. But um, I don't hate the idea of load managing on Friday before a long road trip. Like, let's uh, and I'm sure Donovan Mitchell wants to show out on national TV. And, you know, I, I found it kind of interesting. So there's four guys basically in that upper right quadrant of points added and points saved uh and donovan mitchell is one of those along with luka Doncic and uh Jokic, and i can't remember who the other one is um and i i'm gonna have to look it up i'm sure it's one of the better teams in the nba but oh uh Giannis, of course but of um course. but he's in that top four like he is a legit. Are, he's you, a are le- you talking about MVP agenda? I am talking MVP agenda, and I'm also talking about you know one thing I think that is very attainable. MVP might be tough, especially the way Giannis and the Bucks are playing. But uh, first team All NBA is is attainable for Donovan Mitchell. I love it. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. So, um, and with that, uh. I don't have anything else to say about what the Cavs have uh, kind of done and with their. Are they seven and one or six and one? I, I don't know why I don't know the answer six, to these questions. Six and one. Six and one. I mean, did any of you think they'd be six and one after seven games? 
Oh, hell no. <laughs> Not a chance, especially yeah, with Garland I, out, too. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. they're exceeding all our expectations. Um, well, the insane thing is, is, is LeBron and Kyrie are suffering and the Cavs are sitting pretty right now. So it's a weird world. Uh, huh? It is upside down. Yeah. an upside down world. Huh? Uh, experience is completely stochastic. So with that, you guys got anything to pitch this week? All right. I'll go first. Cause I'll got to get it off my chest. I got one. I got one. So I may have pitched. Is this be about some article you're writing? No, no, it's not. <laughs> I, I learned my lesson. I learned my lesson. So, uh, I'm pitching one of okay, and this is inspired by actually our our friend, uh, our our editor emeritus or Godfather Tom Pestak, uh, Godfather of the uh, Cavs of blog. Um, he mentioned he was listening to synth wave uh, with saxophone solos, so I thought that was where did he mention that in our group chat. Oh, nice. man, I was surprised. Nice. That's why it caught my attention. I was like, damn. I missed that one. I'm going to have yeah. to go back and look. Yeah, Pestak is hip with it. So in, inspired by him, you know, because I'm a big fan of what I'm a big fan of is Vaporwave. Um, which is, <laughs> I have no idea what that is. It, it's basically like remixes of like 80s music and like like very classic or deep cut uh, R&B hits of the 80s, like 70s and 80s. Um, and they're all like remixed and it's kind of like a postmodern, uh, take, you know, like a, a regurgitation of what's come before, you know, and just, a uh, just, I mean, they're all remixes basically. Um, but the, but the name of the, the artist is waterfront dining and you can listen and stream to all 700 albums or whatever. I get, okay. 700, not like 70 or 80 albums that he, they produced. Uh, you can listen to all of them on Bandcamp for free. Nice. So, nice. Uh, yeah, Waterfront Dining, check them out. My favorite album is probably Daydream. Um, there's some really good cuts on there. Um, so I'll post a link to their uh, Bandcamp page. But, yeah, Waterfront Dining. Shout out to Tom for the inspiration. Nice. What about you, Eli? Anything to pitch? Man, uh, I think the only thing you got to pitch is oh um i actually got something so uh last week was my brother's birthday and i went to a place in columbus called high bank distillery nice um, it's like a pretty good um it's pretty good actually i was like blown off uh blown away not blown off <laughs> blown away by the uh how good the whiskey was and is this whiskey ooh, or bourbon what kind of it whiskey is um, a barrel whiskey so it's called whiskey war and it won nice. a spirit competition in san francisco but i was pleasantly surprised how good it was so, so this is it's blended. local columbus um what's it called place. whiskey it's war yeah is that the name of the it's called whiskey war Whiskey. That's the name, that's the name of, the of the whiskey, but it's High Bank yeah. Distillery. Got it, in got Columbus, it. Columbus, Ohio. Nice. So nice. pretty good. Um, I really enjoyed it. So um, that's if you're a whiskey drinker, I definitely recommend getting a bottle and try and support Ohio businesses. Nice. I did my uh, trick or treat experience on uh, Monday night uh, with my with my 12 year old, and uh, 
we we went around and I had uh, mold cider and bourbon uh, was my uh, drink of choice. And of course, it was like in the high 60s here. So why I heated up my site, why I was drinking a hot drink, uh, I got very warm about halfway through. But other than that, it was it was a pretty good experience. Uh, my pitch this week is and speaking of uh, editors emeritus, evil genius, shout out. One of his favorite shows ever. I just decided, like, I was looking the other day. I was like, what the hell am I going to watch? Like, you ever do that thing where you're on Amazon or going through the streaming services and you, like, spend a half hour and don't actually watch anything? You're just browsing for a half hour. I was kind of in that mode. And then I saw <laughs> Mr. Robot, which I never finished. Uh, oh. picked, it, picked it back up in the uh, second season. That show is amazing. So oh, damn good. Um, Love it. Rami Malek, uh, Christian Slater is fantastic. B.D. Wong is amazing. Just a really good cast, really well written. Sam Esmail created it. Um, I'm on the third season. I It has not flagged in the third season. I'm about halfway through. It's so totally relevant to kind of our current political and socioeconomic situations, um, especially with the kind of the collapse of crypto. So it's super entertaining. I forgot how good of a show it was. I'm super glad I'm getting back into it to finish it up. So uh, check out Mr. Robot. It's still holding up. Um, and uh, shout out to UEG. I know that's one of your one of your all timers. So and Love with it. the that uh we will uh be back in the in the uh Cavs the podcast comment thread uh friday night against the pistons and as always go Cavs. go Cavs. go Cavs. yes go Cavs. <laughs> thank you for listening to Cavs the blogs podcast check back soon for some more fun with your favorite blogger Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.